0: This episode of Profiles in Risk is sponsored by IAPath. IAPath, unlocking your adjusting superpowers. Go to IAPath.com.
1: This is Profiles in Risk. Hosted by Nick Lamparelli. Every week, we interview those who risk life, limb, fortunes, career, and reputation, and those who work behind the scenes, who look to protect and enlighten us about risk. You can find the show notes and other insurance-related content at insnerds.com. That's I-N-S-N-E-R-D-S dot Now, on to the show.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Profiles and Risk. I'm your host, Nick Lamparelli. Today I am pleased to introduce Randy Schwantz. Randy is the owner of the Wedge Group and author of several books on sales training and sales management for insurance agencies and brokerages. Randy, how are you? I'm good, man. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I feel like I've known you forever. Ever since I got into insurance, if it was a if it was an agency that had pride in itself, rest assured in the library, there would be a book on something called the wedge, and it was written by you. And I, you know, going through your Amazon account, I can see you've updated it and have several versions of it. So there, you know, you're you're famous in that regard. But I, I'd like to start off just in your own words. What does the wedge group do?
1: Yeah, we at the high level, we help agency owners develop high performance sales cultures. Both, you know, hire new people and take the existing guys and develop them up and. And get them growing hard and fast. That's what we do.
0: Yeah. So, can you talk a little bit about your career path? You know, from high school to college, you have a really interesting story. Your your entry on LinkedIn for Texas Tech only shows one year. So, could you just walk us through how did you get to the point where you got to be a sales trainer?
1: Yeah. So we might as well clarify that that Texas Tech thing. In reality, it was three days. I went Tuesday, (laughs) Thursday, Tuesday. But I did go. There you have it. So I don't know. The career path is kind of interesting. You know, I, I grew up on a farm when I, uh, when I was in high school. It took some sort of aptitude test that said maybe I could be a computer programmer. So I started that and, you know, didn't have the discipline to do anything with it. So when I finally graduated, wasn't prepared to go to college and I went to work as a construction laborer. It was beautiful, man. Working hard, swinging, swinging the, swinging the axe, swinging the sledgehammer, tying steel, you know, doing high rise, not high rise, but the uh, they call them concrete tilt-ups. Anyway, a lot of hard work. In the Texas sun. In the Texas sun, yeah. And then the, they, went, they went on strike. And, you know, the, the carpenters did. So there here I am, a laborer, not a union guy. And uh, I couldn't find a job. So then I worked on the railroad and sold Kirby vacuum cleaners and did a lot of things. And then I'd interviewed for one job I wanted to get, and they hired a Texas Tech grad instead of me. That guy didn't work out, and they called me back and go, you want to come on down? So I did. And I had a guy named Jerry Stegler. The the, the name of the company is called Moncrief Lenore It's a steel distributorship. And Jerry was the best mentor I've ever had in my life. And he kind of taught me a lot. He taught me a lot about the business, but he taught me a lot about how to be a great mentor. And that was very useful. And anyway, that took me to Dallas, uh, transferred to Dallas, and things were going great. And one day I'm in the parking lot, picking up some metal building screws from a distributor of some type. And this guy gets out of his Cadillac and, and he, he kind of like, hey, ah, good morning. You know, kind of waves at me. And I see him walk over into a, a business called the performance group. And I was kind of like, I wonder what that is. And so I went over there and said hi to him. And he said, come back and talk to a guy that, that works for me named Dick Cap. Dick Cap happened to be a, a, a former green Bay Packer. He had a big old, uh, Super Bowl ring on his finger. anyway. We got to know him and end up leaving that business and went to work in the sales training business, trying to sell that stuff. It was a miserable year. And then had a couple more miserable jobs. And then a friend of mine that I knew back when I was in steel business said, man, you ought to become like a manufacturer's rep in the construction business. So anyway, long story short, went to work for a, um, a metal fab company. We did stairways, car carports, and backing rails and big apartment complexes. Did that and it it was i loved it it, it was tangible but it, i got to use my creativity in terms of design and things like that and then the real estate bust hit late 80s early 90s and once again everything just went to hell in a handbasket and so another friend had a small advertising agency and i went to work with him just doing some random sort of marketing sales jobs and then my wife got pregnant and i needed to make more money so I just made a deal with them but along that way. I had, I had started doing some sales training for some of our clients and built a small base and Lori got, got pregnant. And I go, you keep that project that I put together. Can I
0: take the sales training clients? And then I was in business. And that's how I got here. So when did you know that, what was the feeling or the moment that you knew, boom, I love sales. Like this is, this is for me. Was there, was there a particular sale where that occurred or a particular moment where you just realized that this is going to be what I do for the rest of my life? Yeah,
1: man, I I don't, that's, that's a good one. I don't, I don't know that there was a moment and I got to be honest with you at some level, it was like, I didn't have another choice. I had to be good at it. I couldn't be, I couldn't be a manager, couldn't be an operations guy, couldn't be a finance guy, couldn't do anything. I didn't have the education. And my dad was a sales guy, so I kind of had that identity. I wanted to be like that. And so I just started going for it. And it was brutal. I mean, I had, a, I had some brutal sales jobs. Things that I didn't believe in didn't mm-hmm. make sense to me, you know, and struggled with it. And I think that struggle is ultimately what made me, you know, better, if you will, and made me a, uh, you know, it's kind of, I, I am at some level both like a psychologist and an engineer. And I kind of bring the the engineering in me sees process psychology in me see how it affects people, and and as those things together
0: came together. That that's really how the wedge got developed. Yeah. So it's grit. I'm I'm curious. Is that something that you look for when you're training for sales? Is that something you can teach? Grit. Yeah.
1: No. You know, it's interesting. Did you know I wrote a book called Grit? No.
0: Yeah. I, I'll, I'll,
1: it's right here. <laughs> anyway, it's right over there somewhere. Uh, yeah, grit. How to find, hire, and develop real producers. And um, I don't. I, I think you can create an environment where people who have a grittiness to them that it pulls it out, or it gives them a chance to really go be all that they are. You know, where sometimes they were environments where they, you know, they had that kind of gritty drive, but the the environment was more powerful than they were at times. So anyway, I I don't know that you. I don't think you can create grit, but man, we sure need to hire it. And and they create an environment to
0: make the most of it. I was having a conversation with someone uh, about yeah. You know, I I tried to get into production, and it was really hard. There was no uh, there was no purpose around it. There was no mentoring. It was just basically they threw me out there, and I failed. Right. And I didn't have the ability, the financial ability, to support myself during that time. So I don't even know if I personally have grit or not. I, you know, how I, I, we're gonna, I think we're going to get into this again at some point, but how important is it to have that mentor, to have someone that can basically say, don't worry, dust yourself off. This is normal. We've all gone through that and basically lay the foundation and the training for someone to be able to, to blossom.
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, yeah, yeah, every, all you got to do is go look at all your sports heroes. They've all got mentors. They've got they've got specialty coaches, not random guys. So uh, I think it's incredibly important. And, you know, when we, just like with our clients right now, we've got uh, just under 90 agencies on our IWIN agency growth platform, right? And the reason I wrote the book Grid is because the majority of them are suffering with hiring new producers. That's how they got where they are in the no growth area. and so we've helped them improve the hiring process. And just to tell you a little bit about that, if I can, that I had a client in Fort Worth that I worked with, well, I am still working with them. I started working with them in 94. And in 95, I got involved in the hiring process. Between 95 and 2005, that 10-year period of time, I got deeply involved in hiring. And long story short, we ended up hitting on 29 out of 34 people. It's an amazing story. So I, I reverse engineered that and go, because when I first started helping with it, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to look for, didn't know what to ask. I just thought I could do better than what they were doing. And kind of out of it came this whole idea of a which maybe this sounds trite or cliche ish, but it really had an evidence-based hiring process. So if, Nick, if you're a basketball player and you know somebody brought you in and say, Give Nick a big contract, he can play ball. Okay, well, let's see him play ball. I'm gonna give you a ball. And I'm going to put a guy on you and you're going to go one-on-one and then I'm going to watch you shoot. and Then I'm going to watch you play defense. And I'm going to watch you cross. I'm going to watch all that stuff. I'll be able to see it with my eyes that you can play ball. And then I'll interview you also to see what you're about and do you fit in the locker room and stuff like that. But I get to see evidence that you can, do, you can be a ball player. Well, how do you get evidence on a producer? It's an intangible, right? Well, I came up with a whole series of exercises to put them through so we start to get evidence. Anyway, you start to do that you get amazing results. And somehow I got off track because I'm tying all these things together. But um, that, that grit, oh, you were asking about mentoring and coaching, that, that when you're going to hire right, it's crucial. But even though you hire right, it doesn't mean they're going to be successful. So when you can then put them into an onboarding process that, that squeezes, you know what I mean? If I were your weightlifting coach, I'd be on you screaming at you not in a mean way, but come on, Nick, push, push. Cause you can. And so with a new producer, oftentimes they hire them, they send them off to carrier school. They learn a little bit about coverage. They come back, here's a yellow pages or go look up something on data.com, start making cold calls. Don't know how to make a cold call. And you learn that carrier. Well, we're not gonna blame the carriers. You learned that coverage school that there's a lot to know and that you compared to the guy's been doing for five, 10, 15 years, you're, inordinately ignorant compared to that guy. And so, so many things we do actually crushes confidence rather than builds confidence. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So then, so then when we start to look at onboarding process of newbies, it's um, a, get them real clear on their goals, B get them really clear on their, their, their value proposition. And so now here's the next piece. What makes the wedge work is, is we're, we, we help agencies create proactive service platforms, not, we have a lot of good service, but I mean, platform to where you could, you could name every one of them. They're very distinct. It's not just capabilities like loss, like loss control or claims management or, or tools like Zywave or Succeed, but we're pulling out of that and ending up with a bunch of little tiny bricks, each one with a name, building a platform. Well, when you do that, now that young producer, we can help them think, what are the proactive services you do that the income is not doing is where that prospect's under, being underserved and we can get a new producer going fast. We can get them getting BORs, getting BORs in 90 days. Well, in the old days, it's like, you got a BOR. Like, wow, how'd you do that? No, dude, we get the young guys out doing it. Because, go back to what you say, system, coaching, mentoring, it's a well-defined platform. It's proven. And so rather than this random, chaotic piece of poo-poo that most
0: people have to go through, man, we squeeze them right down the tube. Yeah, yeah. I want to get more into the wedge first, before we do that quickly. How did you jump into in the insurance part of it? So it sounds like in your career that you, you started to uh, have an aptitude for sales. You enjoyed it. You wanted to do more of it. Um, but it didn't sound like it was initially in insurance. How did it become more insurance-based? And we'll get right back to this episode right after a brief message from our sponsor. I am back with Chris Stanley, founder of IA Path. Chris, IAPath can handle individual as well as corporate adjuster trainings. What is the typical class size? Nick, with the technology that exists for hosting classes online, we can hold hundreds of students per class, but at IAPath, we wanted it to be more personable. If we're going to sign off saying a student is competent, then we need to actually get to know the student. And we can't get to know the student if there are hundreds of people per class. That's why we keep our classes to under 20 registered students. And our certified partners are confident that we know the student and that that student knows their stuff. Learn to write auto, heavy truck, and other claims types with IAPath's online trainings. Unlock your adjusting superpowers. Go to IAPath.com. I want to get more into the wedge first before we do that quickly. How did you jump into the insurance part of it? So it sounds like in your career that you, you started to uh, have an aptitude for sales, you enjoyed it, you wanted to do more of it, um, but it didn't sound like it was initially in insurance. How did it become more insurance-based? Yeah, so full disclosure, I've never sold a dime's worth of insurance, ever. I'm
1: not an insurance sales guy. But you <laughs> teach insurance agents. I teach insurance agents. So, you know, if you hang out in Rome long enough, maybe you'll learn how to speak Italian, right? So what <laughs> happened was, and it, it, here's kind of an interesting story. When I was in the construction business, w- what I would do is I'd go around to a job shack, pick, pick up a set of blueprints, figure out how much they needed materials, make a proposal, hand it to them. And then you ca- cross your fingers, hope you get the deal. A lot like insurance. Go meet with a prospect, get the policies, find the coverage gap, market it. Bring it back, present it to them, and hope you get the deal. And I was just dumb and stupid, Nick. I mean, I had no clue what was happening to me until one day I'm listening to my boss had uh, somebody on his speakerphone. And this guy is dog cussing him. I mean, we're in the construction business, so that's not unusual, but just dog cussing him. Mike, you, SOB, blah, 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 MF, GD, you know, it's just going on. And, um, and, and then, then the conversation was, was over and I was like in shock. And then I said to my boss, Mike, Mike, isn't that Jimmy, your biggest client? He goes, yeah. I see Was dog cussing you, man. He sounds like he's mad. He goes, no, nah, we do this every time. Every time he sends me a set of blueprints, I give him a proposal. He calls me back. He cusses me out. I lower it by 5%. He gets what he wants. What he doesn't know is I jacked it up 5% so I could lower it 5%. And that's the game. And all of a sudden, like epiphany, boom, that's the game. And so once I figured out that's the game, it changed how I started using the selling sales training that I had at that point. And back then, I was, uh, uh, there was a sales training franchise out there called Sandler. I love Sandler. Um, uh, Sandler was the first guy that told it the way it was. and was tough. And instead of feature benefit, he got down to going after pain. Um, and so I loved it. And so I was taking that and then I started to incorporate more of that and got better at it. Well, when I, you know, when, when, when all hell broke loose with the, the real estate industry going down, Charles Keating and the savings loan trust and everybody went bankrupt. Um, and then I started teaching some of our client stuff. Well, one of my first three clients, really one of the first five clients that I got from cold calling was an insurance agency. And so I'd been working with this guy, name name Pat Bonds here in Dallas for about, I don't know, four five, six months. And then one day he takes me to lunch. He said, hey, Randy, I got some advice for you. Really? What's that? He said, I think you ought to focus on insurance. I mean, really? Why? He said, I got three reasons. He said, number one, we don't, get a, you know, we don't get a lot of good sales training. Most of our training is technical training. I like your stuff. I think other people would too. And this is pre-wedge days even. And he said, number two, you're not going to find any internal competition. Nobody wants to really do this role. And then he said, number three, they make a lot of money. They can afford to pay you well. And then he told me about George Nordhaus out on the West Coast, who at that point in his life uh, drove a Rolls Royce from all the money he made off of working with insurance agencies. And so I called George, who's the nicest man in the world. And, you know, he's still serving our industry. Um, and he goes, write an article. If I like it, I'll publish it. And uh, I wrote the first article I wrote. It's called the, the, the Buck Stops Here, The Art and Science of Doing Deals. And he published it. And I picked up a couple more clients and then boom.
0: That became my specialty. That's fantastic. I, you're not the first one to bring up Sandler sales. So I, I, will, um, I will put that on the show notes. That's come up a couple times. Yeah, I mean, it, it's great. Let me tell you politely also
1: where, where it leaves us off. <clears throat> Almost all training. In the other room, I've got a bookshelf with over 200 books on selling. And here's the thing, Nick, that they all have in common. In essence, they all say that if, if we'll build relationship, if we'll probe, if we'll find problems and pain, if we'll solve that pain, that we'll get rewarded. What none of those people deal with is that third party, the bad boy incumbent. And that is the crux, And or maybe say that's the killer of a lot of salespeople who build those relationships, do good needs analysis. They come back with great proposals. They present. And they, they feel so good about themselves. And then that bad boy incumbent comes back in and matches it and keeps it. And that's the whole background. That's the, the metaphor of the wedge. Yeah. You got to so draw a wedge, wedge when you're prospecting incumbent.
0: Yeah. So you're, uh, you're going after a client who has an agent or broker. There's no you know, conflict between the client and the agent, and you need to find that small wedge to be able to find or a small pore to stick stick that wedge in and figure out how are you going to separate the uh the customer from the incumbent agent when there's not a large conflicting problem that's like very obvious to the client
1: yeah in fact there's hardly ever a problem that the client feels and so Now you go back to another book I read. It was called, uh, oh man, one of the most magnificent concepts. And I think this concept personally has made me $10 million, at least. It's the concept of there's two parts of the brain, front part, back part, front part's active memory, you know, that like if something's bothering me, I feel it, I'll tell you about it. But in the back is this latent memory and that's where all these conditions, all these things that we learned how to put up with are stored. They become highly predictable what those conditions are that buyers have. And so, then once again, when I've got my proactive service platform, it's the proactive services I do that the incumbent doesn't do, is where that buyer is being underserved and has pain, even when they don't know it. And so, it becomes a very predictable process to get that pain out and get it blamed upon the incumbent, driving that big wedge, not a little wedge, to where the buyer. At some point, feels like you you've been taking advantage of me. You you you're not doing that. You're not doing that. You're not doing that. And I thought I could trust you. Now I don't know that I can wedge in, and then that shifts the mo- momentum of the, the the sales call. And look, dude, I you know I mean I can pull up dozens and dozens and dozens of testimonials where where people are talking about their closing ratios going from the 30s to the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and that now they're getting either either you know, way over half or all their business by BOR. And you don't, there's only one way to do that, and that, that you've got to be great at conveying the difference and getting the buyer to see the income that's not doing their
0: job. Hence, the wedge. Yeah, yeah. For, for the listeners, uh, BOR, that, that, that don't know what a BOR is, it's a broker of record letter, and that's simply the agent gets a piece of paper that says all of their accounts now belong to this new agent. Um, yeah, and just take over. yeah you don't have no, no applications or anything you just take them over it's the simplest way to uh, acquire a business so I want to uh, what do so the, the wedge is a philosophy of sales training so a, a you know a, you come into an agency you're teaching these agents the wedge but doesn't it, doesn't it require continuous training? You had mentioned uh, an athlete having specialized training. Right. For, for someone that's in sales, aren't they like an athlete? Doesn't, it, doesn't even the wedge or any other superior f- philosophical method to conduct sales, isn't it something you just have to keep training yourself over and over and over? Absolutely. And see, that's.
1: <clears throat> so the old school would say, hey, we sent you to training one time. What's your problem? In fact, I used to get angry. I kind of, you know, I'm not the angry man I used to be. I'm still trying to be polarizing, but I'm not angry. But I used to get mad, you know, like some agency owner would send a young kid off to the wedge training and then he'd come back and the guy would be on fire and write a lot of business. And then after about six months, all the old habits of the existing sales culture took over. So I'd be like talking to a guy, so who else are you going to send? he goes, well, you know, I sent Charlie and, you know, Charlie did good for about four or five months, but you know, he's back to the same old Charlie. And I'm thinking like, well, don't you understand why? I mean, you took him out of, you took him out of this, this great place in, in a sense. It's just like if a, if a obese guy that wanted to lose weight and he worked at Kentucky Fried Chicken, he goes off to Jenny Craig for some weight loss training and he comes back to work at Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> it's just not a good place to lose weight. And <laughs> That's they're a, not great. a
0: great, place, That's a great they're metaphor.
1: Yeah, so it's um, so the answer is yes, 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 yes. You have to train, you have to train, you have to train, and then if we teach a um, a sales meeting model. Uh, most sales meetings in agencies are what I call a spreadsheet liar's club meeting, right? Get out the spreadsheet. Hey, Nick, what are you working on here? Okay, Nick, tell me more about it. All right, Nick, what do you think your chances are, Nick? Okay, you have a carrier lined up. You need any help, Nick? And that's about it. So Nick says, yeah, I'm doing fine, though. I don't need any help. Yes, I have good care. got a relationship. I think if I do this, do that, I'll I'll win the business. All right, next, next, next. Spreadsheet Liars Club meeting. Doesn't mean you're a liar, but you're not getting anything out of it that's worthwhile, right? So then if you flip that on its head, and instead of asking that of you, Nick, I put the incumbent of the account that you got an appointment with tomorrow afternoon in the room with us. No, not literally but there's a chair. That's where we put the incumbent. And Nick, right now, that guy's got your money. So let me ask you a question, Nick. Do you think this account would be better off with you than that guy? And then you would say what? Me? Yeah. Good. Then I got to go, why? And now through my training, jujitsu, I got to sit there and take what you say and start to map it out and get and get solid black and white things rather than a lot of, well, you know, I've been, it's my experience and, you know, it's my knowledge. And so I train sales leaders all the time that when somebody says, well, it's my knowledge. Well, root word of knowledge is to know. So you must know something the incumbent doesn't know. What do you know? What do you know how to do? And just keep pushing and make you define what you do better. And so that's like weightlifting too, only it's weightlifting of the brain. You know, you're taking that, you're taking that big old Gray matter, it keeps squeezing on it, making stronger, making stronger, making stronger, make you stronger at defining and defending how you're better than your competition. So when you train in the skill of how to deliver a wedge, do a vision box, do the rehearsal technique, you get that down where you got that down and then you, and then you're made to define what you do and how you do it better. You put those two together, man, it's a powerful cocktail, baby. And that's that, that combination is what causes a lot of people to win. And a secondary cool benefit is when, if I'm the sales manager and I'm working you, making you define and defend, I'm getting your best work out on the table to go beat that guy. Well, what's everybody else in the room learning? Your best work. And then i get Bob's best work. Then i get Jim's best work. and get Sally's best work. And now, instead of all this stuff about, well, we, we do best practices. Oh, come on. Best practices is just a way of saying we do what's average and it's good. This is like this is like take you to the mat every time, and it's, you know, it's like, uh, God, it's fun when you have people that have have ambition, and it's brutal when you got a bunch of old retired in place farts.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's the way it is. What in in terms of sales culture, when how would you could you rattle off a few things that you sort of uh, you would rank as. Uh, things that you would see if you went into an agency that had a top-notch sales culture. What are they doing right? Yeah, so, so one
1: thing, they'd probably have
0: a big old board up on
1: the wall with all the producers listed, new business commission goals, and it'd be updated. A lot of people have that chart, is not updated. So it's updated, boom. Everybody knows how much new business everybody's writing. There's no secrets, right? We get it out there, that's number one. Number two, goal setting is not a, uh, hey, what are you gonna write for me this year? Goal setting goes in depth. I mean, you get it. It's almost like financial planning moving all the way out to what does it take for you to be a millionaire, multi multimillionaire, reverse engineering all the way back down to now, how much you have to write this year to make that happen. Um, you've got um, uh, you've got new people in the room. In other words, they're bringing a new talent. A great sales culture has new talent. They're always bringing a new talent. And when I say always, I mean, you know, it's like uh, somebody... Depends on how big the firm is, you know, a couple of people a year, some firms, many more than that. Um, And it's just got this energy around, you know, when you ask, what do you do and how do you do it? That it's not the whole, well, you know, we've been in business for 60 years and we got a lot of really good people and great market relationships. It's, it's, you're, you're really drilling down on quantifiable stuff to go to the, to go beat your competition with. Stuff like that. I could keep going, but that's...
0: You brought up, this is a great segue to uh, uh, number three on your list was new talent. I can't even count on my hands how many conversations I've had with uh, folks that are in the industry that says, we are in a crisis. Hmm. We have had a lot of agencies uh, who have made a lot of money over the years, and they have done a very poor job of bringing in that new talent. So right. it's very top heavy a lot of uh agency owners or executives um they're old rainmakers they're old let's yeah. call them older you know close to retirement yeah. and yeah. it's almost i had, i talked to one agent uh who said it's actually at at some stage it's not even in their best interest to bring somebody in you know it just it, you can't it's just too difficult for them to make the numbers work at their age and, you know, what they're, what they're trying to do.
1: Yeah, which is um, why.
0: Go ahead. The venture, Yes, which is why the venture capital firms
1: have come in and swooped in on this industry like crazy. But probably last year I saw, I think, maybe 565 agencies, and they're not all little rinky-dink shops. I mean, we're talking about some big shops, some medium-sized shops. They're buying like crazy because they know that Mr. Big um, is not going to invest his own money and Mr. Big knows that he can get, you know, seven, seven and a half, eight times EBITDA off that he's going to get a big paycheck unless somebody else has the problem. And so that's kind of the crux that the industry's in right now. And uh, thank God there's not everybody sold out to the venture capital firms. And thank God that even the venture capital firms, some of them, some of them, some of them are trying to get back in the hiring process. I honestly don't see a lot of that, but they're trying. They're talking about it. But there's that mid-tier agencies that's, you know, five-man shop. They're, you know, they're sitting there going, we want to be around and we want to, we, we, we want to get back in the business. So I see a lot of
0: it going on, at least in our client base anyway. So how do you hire a new producer? What do you, what do you even look for? What, what should an agency owner that's interested in perpetuating their business, they want to be around for the long haul, they know they didn't do the appropriate investments in the past, but they're ready to turn the corner. What, what should they look for? What should they do?
1: Well, here, here's, here's something that's, uh, way oversimplified and yet it's true. You take that Mr. Agency owner, we'll call him a 55, 50 year old guy, right? Yeah, who cares? But you know, he's got, he's got a client base of hundred clients. He's got a staff of 15 to 25 people. He's been in this, 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 this place he's in. He's got so many kids within just the reach of his fingertip that he's never identified, asked about, or thought about that would love to have the lifestyle that he has. Now, can they all step into that, that pair of shoes? Of course not. But please don't tell me he's the only guy in his city that can do what he does, right? There's talent everywhere. And so, so the first thing we do is we go through just kind of a, a a, a you know, take off your rose colored shades and start thinking about who's in the deal. And we have, we have exercises, descriptions and the ways to start that leveraging process to, to get people coming to them. I've got a number of clients that have never used a recruiter, headhunter, any of that sort of stuff, and they got more talent than you shake a stick at. All right, so that's number one. You got to go find them. Once you found them, then you got to go recruit them into the business. So recruiting, we kind of have them break it down into like a a, a, a three-step a three story about about why insurance. Number one, why the industry? I mean, it's old. It's stable. It's going to be around forever. Why your agency? You know what you believe in, uh, and then why you and how you, as a sales leader, wants to help hire people that want to be multimillionaires, and you've got a process to help them get there. So, you know, you're sitting there having to to attract talent away from, you know, pharmaceutical manufacturing, whatever it would be. Why would they want to come to work for you as small business? Because And, you know, some people go, Randy, you're awfully crass talking about money all the time. Well, look, money's just a tool. That's all it is. Money, money, money buys freedom. I'm not greedy. Uh, if, If we didn't have to have it to buy cars, universities, weddings, to be able to have great retirements, I could care less about money. But that's how you buy all that stuff, right? And so I'm selling that this is an unbelievable place to make a lot of money, become a millionaire, multimillionaire. And you're you're probably not going to get that at those other places. So great industry, great agency, and I'm going to be a great sales leader and coach to help you get there. So now we just recruited them in. They go, okay, how do I talk to you guys? Then you got to have a good cop, bad cop. And the bad cop's the guy who's got to, to really do the assessment and push back and push hard to find out if this person's for real. And they're looking for about five things. Can you deal with rejection? If you can't, you're out. Are you driven? Financially driven, personally driven? Do you have a motive for wanting to do something big? Um, Are you smart? Are you coachable? Are you good at relationships? And so through that, I was telling you earlier, through the evidence-based hiring process, we put them through exercises that make them jump over those hurdles to find out if they've got that. And that equals grit, right? That's gritty. When you got all the stuff, you're gritty. And then you hire them and then you do the onboarding process. Strong goals, differentiation, learn your co call deal, build out your niche, uh, learn your sales process and then get on the phone and start calling and setting appointments. And then you come to our sales meetings and then we're going to train, 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 train. We're going to keep training. We're going to keep training, keep training, keep training, Sales meeting, sales meeting, push, 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 push. And it's like, see, i I love Nick Saban. I got a man crush on him. I love Bill Belichick. I got a man crush on him. I love Shashevsky. I got a man crush on him. Those guys are, those guys are big time winners. They're big time recruiters. But they're big-time developers. They have a process, and they drive the process. And what's interesting about Nick, Nicky, I like to call him Nicky. My buddy Nicky, in the mid-'90s, when he was at uh, Michigan State, I believe, he, he got together with a psychologist there on, on, on the staff at the university. And uh, they kind of came up with the, the, this thing that they, you know, Nicky kind of branded as the process. And, and what is psychology guy says, quit focus on winning, focus on, on the process, focus on developing people. Great process gets great results. Always has, always will.
0: Hey, for the listeners, I will share an article on the show notes. I think it's from ESPN. Uh, and it's about Bill Belichick. And it talks about just that. It's uh, several people, that are very familiar with him and it's, it's exactly the way you described it. Uh, One in particular said, uh, you know, that saying don't swallow the small, don't, um, don't sweat the small stuff. Well, that doesn't apply to Bill Belichick. Right. And every time there's been the, the Malcolm Butler interception in Seattle, they practiced that play. They did it twice during, uh, during the regular season, because Belichick thought at some point someone might try that play, and during the Super Bowl, the light bulb went off in Mel- Malcolm Butler's head, and he said, I've seen this, and instinctively reacted and intercepted the ball. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I, I love your message because I, I hear this from others who are successful, and it's constant training, 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 training. Keep pushing yourself. That, that is a wonderful message, and I, I just want to do a, a gentle segue to non producers. Mm. and training for them specifically sales training for them um not to necessarily become producers but to become better at at like you like you were mentioning the wedge bit better at asking the appropriate questions for people that are calling in or customers that might be beginning to develop a gripe about something how, how do you feel about s- sales training for non-producers i mean i I feel
1: training for all people everywhere on the planet right i mean we're, we're you know i i I took some golf lessons from a guy and um it, it, and he he brings a martial arts thing to 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 golf and as he's doing all his stuff with his sensei his sensei would say uh nothing's either needed it's not it's not it's not hard you're either trained or not trained right it, golf is not hard either you're trained or not trained and i man that just keeps like selling is not hard. You're either trained or not trained and most people are not trained. So now you go back to quote unquote, non-selling salespeople. They're selling all the time. They're selling, they're selling underwriters. They're selling each other exactly. staff, staff to come to work there. They're selling the retention of clients. They're cross selling. And I'm no, I'm no Nick Saban or Bill Belichick, but man, do I believe everything I do has got a process everything and I can defend it. Why it got there. So the psychology and, and the process, right? So, a lot of times when you get into the internal staff, you, know, you, you try to work them through like, well, why us? How are we different? How are we better? And, and they've, been, they've been asked to drink the Kool-Aid. The Kool-Aid is, well, you know, we're, in fact, I was talking to a lady out and I'm not going to say where in case she hears this. Um, but I was asking her about the firm and how they differentiate. She said, well, we've had 125-year history in this town. And I'm sitting there going, you know, that, that might build some esprit de corps but from a differentiation perspective, who gives a crap? I mean, literally who cares? And I want to promise you, your prospects don't care. They, they care about them, not you. So, so how do you differentiate is, and I keep coming back to our proactive services platform, really define what you're going to do for your clients in such a black and white way that everybody knows what it is, they can communicate it. And then that becomes at the heart of your training. When you got that, now, you know, that's where you have leverage. And then you can go help people, move them, persuade them, influence them to that,
0: whether they're griping or they're a new opportunity coming in. Yeah, I love that message. I really do. I'd like to transition to learn a little bit something more about you. We try to do this in every podcast, try to make it not 100% business, but uh, we we'll do a little bit of personal stuff too. So, uh, Randy, when you aren't working, what do you enjoy doing? We, we just moved from...
1: Dallas to Raleigh, North Carolina. And, um, um, I've got four daughters. The youngest is, uh, so we're empty nesters. So youngest is going to school at Duke playing volleyball. So when I'm not working, I'm watching her play volleyball during volleyball season. Uh, the rest of the season, uh, we moved to a golf course and I bought a golf cart and I like to go over there and toot around and play golf, you know, kind of at my own leisure. And then, um, this is kind of really boring work, but I love it. Like here's a book like, like this, this book's on story, storytelling made easy. And so to see the psychology in, in movies and storytelling and great marketers is what I do when I'm not working. And uh, one of my friends, his boss is, his, uh, he was saying to his boss who was up there like late Saturday night, you know, you're, you're, you know, if you had a work-life balance coach, they'd be unhappy with you. And he kind of said back, you know, this, 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 this is my work. This is my play. I mean, it's like, I, I love what I do. And so, you know, a little golf, a little volleyball.
0: And then I just, I love studying and learning. Yeah. I love that too. Uh, do you have any tools that you use to stay organized or productive and productive?
1: Yeah. So, you know, uh, it's probably a bad term, but I, eat, I eat my own dog food. In other words, yeah, you know, I developed a CRM system for agents, agencies that I absolutely believe trumps all the rivals. And, uh, it's, it's amazing. It helped me keep organized with, with my, my clients and my buyers. It's got my goals in there. Uh, it's got my written service timeline for my clients. Uh, I can carry it with me everywhere I go. It's on my iPhone. Um, that's, I use that and it integrates with Outlook and, uh, that's what I used to keep organized.
0: Well, let me guess. It's also good for producers.
1: It's, you know, it's awesome for producers. I'm glad you brought that up, but I, I, you know, can we talk about that? You know, a little tongue in cheek, the way you said that, and I dig it, but man, you think about if you're a producer, don't, don't you want all your differentiation right at your fingertips? Absolutely. Don't you want to know everything that there is to know about your competition right at your fingertips? Absolutely. Don't you always right at your fingertips. Don't you want all your red hot introductions, the people that your clients and who they can introduce you to. It's like everything, everything that I coach somebody to do, it's built systemically into this, in, into this, this technology platform. So it just becomes easy. And then sales leaders, you know, quit running, quit running spreadsheet, large club meeting, run these great Chris sales meetings. And look, and it's all built in there. So it's kind of like this whole technology to drive agency growth. So, you know, you set me up, but you didn't know I was going
0: to say that, did you? I didn't. And uh, is, uh, is the CRM something that's commercially available? Is it something that listeners could maybe take a peek at via the wedge?
1: Yeah. So it's, yeah, if you go to the wedge.net, it's a part of the IWAN agency growth system. So, you know, it's a common, you know, our, our, our deal is a combination of training technology and coaching because which one do you want to leave out? You want to leave out training? No. Do you need technology? Yeah. Do you need coaching to help, help, help help get us over the humps? How do you yeah. So that's, that's kind of that whole platform.
0: Completely, completely. Yeah. Uh, okay. So final question. I ask all of our uh, guests that come on besides all of the books that you have written and besides the one you just mentioned on storytelling made easy, Are there any particular books that you would recommend that you found to be very influential in, it sounds like, you you know, your business and personal lives are very intertwined, but, you know, something that you found very influential uh, that you would recommend to the listeners?
1: Yeah. You know, so I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fan of Tony Robbins. And when I, when I think of that, of all the hundreds and hundreds of books I've read, the one that was most influential in getting me over the hump was his first book called unlimited power and you know when you come from a uh, a redneck farm boy background you went to school for three days you leave lubbock texas you go to dallas texas it's a big city bright lights big cars everybody drove a mercedes benz it felt like you know everybody went to school to smu and Was wearing polo shirts back then smu was a big deal I so, mean, I didn't feel like I fit in. I mean, I really, my identity was I don't belong here, but deep down inside my, in my heart in my soul, my gut, I wanted to, but man, I, I just didn't, I didn't believe. And so that unlimited power kind of, you know, I read that probably three or four or five times, mapped it out, wrote it out. Uh, I, I think that's and that book is 25 years
0: old, but man, it's just as powerful today as it ever was. Good selection. Great selection. Uh, Randy, this has been phenomenal. Such a wonderful conversation to have with you. If, uh, the listeners would like to reach you, how can they do that?
1: Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, you always email me, Randy at the wedge.net. Uh, I get my own emails and respond to them. And then uh, if you're interested in the IWAN agency growth system, you can email me about that or go to the website, the net And, um, start doing research on that, our public workshops. We know we do public shops, workshops
0: around the country, the wedge. Um, anyway, we got a lot of stuff out there. Fantastic. I will put all of that information on the show notes and uh, wow, the time has flown by. Thank yeah, you. Thank you so much for uh, carving out time in your day to discuss. And uh, it's, it's an honor. You it's know, honor, man. You're you're, good to- again, I, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll say it again. Uh, being in a successful agency for you know many 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 years ago yours was the first book that i saw on that one producer's library and i said i need to get that book so uh you've you've definitely made an impact all of these years it's an it was an honor to have you on the show thank you nick my guest this week has been randy schwanz thanks again randy